Welcome to the Playing Footsie podcast. My name's Paul and each episode me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. Welcome back everyone to the second episode of the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, it's the second episode because the first one went so well. Thank you so much for everybody who listened to that. And uh, everyone who left comments on the YouTube, it was like overwhelmingly positive really. And we were very, very, very surprised with that. But now thanks to Steve D, uh, the podcast is isn't just on YouTube anymore. It's now on Apple, it's now on Spotify, and it's now on Google Podcasts as well, uh, which is absolutely incredible. I never thought we'd see uh, something that we made on um, all the podcast sites, which is pretty crazy. So thank you everyone to that. And uh, there'll be links in the description below of the YouTube channel video. Uh, so you can go have a listen there if you want. And if you want to just search for it on Spotify, Apple or Google, uh, just for, search for the Playing Footsie podcast. Right, today I think we've got a few topics up for discussion. Uh, we want to talk about uh, GameStop and Robinhood and maybe even Trading212 in there. We want to talk about a bit about diversity, uh, diversification, and we're going to talk about some of the recent earnings reports, including, I think, Facebook, SPACs, and we might even be able to throw in Amazon at the end. I'm going to Google Amazon because I think Amazon's earnings report is going to come out in the next couple of minutes, I think. Uh, with me today, we've got Steve D, we've got Zach, and we've got Steve W. How are we doing, guys? All good, guys. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing good. Very good, thanks. Good, good, good. So let's get started because the GameStop short squeeze seems to be coming to an end. If, in case you didn't know uh, and you've been living under a rock for the past few days, uh, GameStop short squeeze started happening uh, where all the Wall Street bettors, all the retards on there decided that they were going to push the stock as high as they can to squeeze out Melvin Capital. Uh, and they did a pretty good job. Um, they reduced it from 168% overshorted to 112% overshorted, I think it was in the end. It might have even gone lower, I'm not totally sure. But now uh, GameStop, AMC, and I think all the others are starting to drop. Are the diamond hands uh, starting to turn to paper? Anyone think? I was looking at GameStop just recently before we came on. I was looking at some of the closing prices from previous days, and it was, I think, 347, 194, 325, 225. And the last time we looked, it was 95. Uh, so it's it's coming down quite fast. I mean, even the guys from Nickel and Motors think that's going downwards. <laughs> um, I was just going to chime in and say, uh, I, I just feel sorry for people now because there's, uh, there's an element of... Uh, of people being duped into this, I feel now. Um, I mean, it's got a hell of a lot of interest outside of the investing community, and um, anybody buying that at three two five and, and expecting a return, it feels a bit felt a bit nuts at the time, and it is proving to be so. And I, you know, I just hope that um, you know people have just invested or gambled with the you know money that they could afford to lose. I hope nobody's gone daft with this, and uh, yeah, just be careful. 
I think, uh, yeah, because I was scrolling through um, actually eToro today and they, they have, it's quite a social, um, I don't know if you know, but it's a social uh, trading site and everyone posts up their opinions and a lot of people are starting to sound and look worried on yeah. there. It's something I was going to cover, uh, hopefully uh, in my next video, I'm going to look into what effect the brokers have had on this short squeeze because as we know, Robin Hood decided to cease trading uh, and many, many others, but obviously Robin Hood's the one that's took the brunt of it. Uh, what do we think actually happened there? Has anyone got any thoughts on that? So from, I mean, from my point of view, I think um, they were partly right to kind of halt the trading i know it's not going to be a popular opinion <laughs> but um basically the clear they had issues with the clearing houses because i think the um the margin margins that they were um asking um to cover i'll say a deposit for for each trade i think it was way too high and i think i'm not sure whether the clearing houses were doing it on purpose to kind of uh, increase the the deposits that robinhood had to pay but I mean, I mean, we we know for a fact there's incredible amount of volume, um, and it was probably a case where Robinhood couldn't keep up. I think I think it was. I know they say they are, but they were protecting themselves, and they wouldn't like to admit it. But I think it was a case of them just trying to stay stay afloat. Well, with the all problem is, is that people think that the money flows in real time because that's what you're seeing on your screen. You're seeing you've made a purchase, and that stock's arrived. But that's not really how. How trading happens behind the behind the scenes so basically what happens is that the broker tots up all the buys and sells and it submits them at the end of the day um so when you send when you send all your buys and sells to the dtcc which is just essentially a clearing center um you might hope to only be sending them a little bit amount of money and the rest of it is just um electronic settles where shares are, are trading hands now at one point, Robin Hood got asked to send something like three and a half billion dollars of money because there was that many buys and not very many sells. I mean, no broker has that kind of liquid cash on hand um, and no broker would let, uh, no bank would lend Robin Hood that money, even at an interbank uh, rate, an interbank uh, rate to, to fulfill that, which they have done twice. And I think they've raised three and a half billion and they managed to negotiate the, mm -hmm. the DTCC settlement down to 1.7 billion. But that's still a hell of a lot of money for a fledgling broker to, to have to cover. So they had to stop the trades. There really isn't. An alternative and as much as we you know the pedal the narrative of them being evil and scum is another word i've seen they, they just they had to save their own back and they had to save the clients now they've worded it badly they've represented themselves terribly i don't know whether you've noticed robin hood is hiring somebody who has experience of managing a crisis and they, they fucking need it they need it <laughs> and trading two and two do as well they so yeah, I was going to probably for the UK users, probably move on to trading 212 in a little bit. If So Wall Street Bets pretty much has the idea in its head right now that the corruption in the market starts with Robin Hood because they're the ones that stop the trading or reduce the trading down to one share. Their excuse has been that these clearinghouses required so much money to clear the trades uh, and they had to do that $3 billion, uh, volume raise. I, God knows where they got it from in the end. I can't. I, I did read it, but I can't remember. Um, yeah, Citadel. So where 
if there is any corruption in this market, where would it have come from? Who's the one that's made the call? Because obviously interactive brokers who would therefore pass on their trades to Trading212, they're being accused of the same thing. Um, I don't know if anybody watched the interview, the famous interview of where they say he laughed and, and things about trying to uh, halt the process and save the company. Because I, I personally do believe that these brokers, they aren't trying to, trying to protect their customers. They're, they don't give a shit about their customers. They wouldn't be doing options trading. They wouldn't do, be doing CFD trading if they really truly cared about their customers. But they were trying to protect the business and therefore protecting the customers. I get that. So if there is, if the hedge funds did have some sway, where do you reckon that would have been? Why was it they called Robin Hood and said, go on, stop trading? Or did they somewhere up the list go, let's make it really hard for Robin Hood to trade right now? I guess my thought on this is that I think that Robin Hood um, and the other US brokers, this isn't the case with Trading 212, just for clarity for the moment. I think they are protecting their customers. I really think they have their customers' interests at heart. What I don't think is that the people trading there are the customers. I think the people trading there are the product. Uh, the customers are the people who buy the order flow from them, which is head fronts and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I guess what I'm reminded of here is we're thinking of this kind of narrative of pitch battle between the Wall Street bets guys on one side, the hedge funds on the other side, and we're trying to work out where the brokerage goes. Um, the brokerage goes to the guys that pay the money, which is getting paid for order flow by hedge funds, as far as I can see. So, I mean, we always think of the kind of expression of if the service is free, then you're the product. And we think about that with sort of Facebook mining your data or Google tracking your search history or something like that. So they can pass that on to other people. I think it's just as true here. Um, in the case of someone like Robin Hood, the traders are the products. Uh, the customers are the people they kind of sell the order flow onto, at least from what I can see of it anyway. Uh, I would point out that's not the same with Trading212 in the UK. Uh, selling order flow is, I think, illegal in the UK. Um, so at least officially no one's doing that from Trading212, and I'm not trying to suggest they are. But in the case of Robin Hood, they're perfectly upfront about the fact that that's what they do, I think. Yeah, so Robin Hood specifically, their um, business model is for a start, order flow, uh, which is one of the ones. The second one is the sale of data. They've been very clear about there in that in their SEC report as well. So they're actually selling their trader data to the hedge funds. Uh, so basically, they the hedge funds get the volume, the the volume trading from Robinhood before anybody else on the market. So they know where to put their money before anybody else does. Uh, that's one of the big ways. The third possible way, and this is speculation from Wall Street Bets and other big traders, is that they're actually betting against their customers. They needed to raise the three billion. Oh, it was actually one billion when the first accusation of this came out. They needed to raise one billion. Uh, the accusation was that they're actually betting against their own um, traders and that was just an interesting one I, we won't go too much into that one because i think that is mostly speculation but for the uk users uh, trading 212 is probably the the one that's getting the most flack right now especially if you go on uh, uh, trading 212's own community forum and on the reddit servers uh, we have to point out here right now that trading 212 can't earn money through order flow uh, it's is at the whim of interactive brokers who I believe can earn through order flow in the US. Uh, they probably can't do it in the UK. 
but they still had to halt. Interactive brokers state that they had to halt their trading. And now trading two on two says that's why they had to halt GME and AMC trading on their platform. Uh, anything more to that anyone wants to add? Did um, trading two on two kind of give uh, an official kind of response to this? Because I've not, I've not. Yeah, they have. They have. Um, again, this is the biggest problem with trading two on two. I don't want to get too much into this because I've got a whole idea on a video for this as well. But essentially, trading two on two, uh, the two problems I have personally with trading two on two is customer communication, which is by and large terrible. Yeah, yeah. I think um, zero. Yeah. It, it's it is terrible uh, the only place i've learned stuff is from the freaking community forum where one or two of them post up the first bits of information and the second one is they change their story twice and that's the one that trading 212 reddit users i think have got the big problem with because they started off by saying they were trying to protect their customers uh blah 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 they tried to mimic I think it was Robin Hood at the time. They were mimicking what they were saying. And then it's come out three or four days later that it was actually down to interactive brokers that stopped the trades uh, and they have no control of it, which is my second big problem with trading 212 is that their business model is at the whim of interactive brokers. And we've kind of proven that again. And that was a big problem. For the me. issue I had with 212 is the message that they put out, it sort of made sense when you had a really, really long think about it, protecting protecting the clients from risk but it wasn't where did uh, a retail investor who maybe doesn't fully understand the system um the second note they put out was a far better note and if they would have put that note out first there would have been less there still would have been uproar but there would have been less uproar um and i think that's the issue now and then and then obviously it didn't help that the next day the platform goes down on us open and uh, i think it was down for about half an hour um and i I sort of I feel sorry for them really because I think they are getting a hell of a kick in and I think there's a hell of a lot of conspiracy theories around at the moment and uh, I think some of the language being used is a little bit is a little bit harsh um, but they're not helping themselves either there there are problems that you know can go away with good communication with stable servers uh, and with you know get on on top of customer service would be would be amazing but you know they've had the lockdown new registrations doesn't help they've locked down the community today so you can't make an account um that doesn't help um and all of these are for good reasons is that people are trying because the customer service queue is so long they're trying to get it through the community it's not an official avenue of support plus you know would you want your details aired in public there's people posting up their email addresses their account balances all that stuff shouldn't be on a community forum so they're right to close the forum but they don't communicate that well enough and hell it must be terrible training up new staff remotely um i don't know how they're doing it because you know the, the, everybody in an office you can do group training you can get everybody up to speed really quickly these people are all working remotely um i do feel sorry for them but it's got to get better and it's got to get better fast yeah i think we've done that one to death so we can move on i think um what were we going to talk about next? We're going to talk about uh, some of the actual SPACs that were going on, uh, the actual SPACs, some of the actual stocks that were being traded up. So you've got GME. Uh, I think everyone agrees that no one really wants to own GME at the current levels. I don't think anyone wants to own AMC at current levels either. But how silly is that? But Zach, uh, have you seen any of these actual stocks that might actually be worth buying? 
I mean, I've I've picked out one. Um, I think it's kind of grouped into this uh, uh, new group of WSB kind of stocks now. But um, my my pick is a turnaround story which caught my attention around three weeks ago. Um, it's not a company that gets much attention. I mean, certainly not in the Discord servers. I mean, but um, it's Bed Bath and Beyond, ticker symbol BBBY. So. Triple B, which I'll call from here on, is a long-established um, retailer. It's a bit like um, TK Maxx, Dunham, and IKEA, I guess. And if I mean, if there's one thing I want to emphasize, it's this company was trash around a year ago. I mean, I'm talking like an old-school management who basically just prioritized brick and mortar. So. That's essentially what they did, and they just kept at it. And I think they shouldn't have really done it because they were kind of going towards the 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 approach where Blockbuster went, which was yeah. not, which is not digitalizing their business. And and I mean, if you if you come across a business like that today, I mean, um, you know, you know, there's a lot uh, a, a law kind of hanging fruit um, that any anyone could come in and and, and fix up. But yeah, so around mid nineteen uh, to two thousand nineteen, the old management were kind of kicked out, um, and in came like a Justice League kind of team, uh, run by, <laughs> literally run by, run by Target uh, CEO. Um, I mean, this is. Have they moved on to online? Is that where you're getting here? Is they moved it's, it's essentially yeah? I mean, it was a case where um, managers were so kind of uh, dis, uh, dis, disaligned um, with what's going on. I mean, you've got Amazons, you've got uh, your Wayfarers who are fully up with uh, up to speed with digital um, marketing. And then you've got this. And, and I mean, even in the UK, Matalan has click and collect, right? And it has an, a, a kind of a digitalization to their, to their business. I tell you what, I'm going to jump in there because Amazon have just released their um, reports. Who wants to hear it? Because I think that's a good segue, to be honest with you, uh, into Amazon right now. Uh, we, I'm just getting it, so um, uh, I haven't really digested this yet. But let's have a quick look. I, I'm seeing some pretty big numbers here. Um, Are we down in right, the morning? So, oh, wow. Okay, so operating cash flow increased 72%. <laughs> For trading 12, 12 months uh, at 66.1 billion. Uh, I'm just trying to find net sales increased 44% and net income increased to 7.2 billion in the fourth quarter. Wow. Bezos is standing down uh, as well. Hey. Uh, Matt, uh, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, Andrew Jassy from AWS is taking over Jeff Bezos as CEO during the third quarter of the year. Hey, yeah, that's big news. Yeah, just reading that now. That is huge, huge news. news. Wonder why he's doing that. Is is this? Um, sorry, we're we're just um, digesting this at first, but they are huge numbers, and Jeff Bezos is standing down. Is this going to be the breakup of Amazon? Is are they? Is that what they got on plan to do? We haven't done enough uh, research here, have we, to go through this I would right say now? No, but I do wonder whether Amazon's founder now being out of the picture might make them a more attractive antitrust target. I mean, that's wild speculation. Mm. There's always antitrust swilling around Amazon. 
Bezos, of course, has a great story um, about having come from nowhere and no thing. Um, I wonder yeah. whether someone else in charge might be a more attractive looking target, I suppose. The loses its loses its founder-led leadership though doesn't it that's um that's one of the thing, big yeah. like talking points just, at the just moment see right? that earnings per share number it is double what was expected yeah yeah uh, you know you normally beat it by two three you know ten percent in a good double what was expected yeah so, I mean, we're shooting from the hip here and we've only got the numbers, right? I mean, the detail, it's a really a detailed story with Amazon. I mean, it trades on a massive P2E, but one of the reasons it trades on a massive um, ratio like that for price earnings is partly because people believe that a lot of its earnings are getting recycled elsewhere um, and they've got earnings that they could kind of let out a bit more easily uh, if, that, if the time came to do that or they felt the time came to do that. So I guess this is one to look at kind of a bit more closely yeah. and dig into a bit, but... I mean, the sales proof is one that's kind of hard to do much with other than be impressed by. Sorry, Paul. Yeah. Now, I'm just comparing it to Alibaba's uh, earnings at the minute. Just on the news right now, it's down half a percent and dropping. So there you mm -hmm. go. That's the news. That'll be solely down to the Jeff Bezos news, won't it, really? Uh, but Alibaba actually had a net profit of 9 billion i believe in comparison to amazon's uh 7.4 billion wow. so it it's um there's some there's some really different numbers they are <laughs> and uh alibaba lost about three percent today on that google's news, so, have just dropped as well uh the market have you seen that google's have yeah. just dropped now there's a um pretty impressive revenues up 23 percent, which is nuts um They've beat on uh, beat on earnings by seven dollars a share. They've Google Cloud uh, it hasn't done as well. Uh, well, only just above what the uh, analysts were expecting. YouTube ads are way above. Um, traffic acquisition costs were about a billion more. Um, cloud business lost more than a billion dollars last last quarter. That is big news. Big news. Yeah, and by contrast, by contrast, there that Google is up six point three seven percent on that news so <laughs> wow the market is absolutely crazy at the minute uh i don't know if anybody needed to needed to know that because <laughs> no one knows what's going on right yeah right, this is going out on a wednesday of course we're recording this on a tuesday yeah this is <laughs> just for clarification the... <laughs> just just in case the market is halved <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Let's see. Uh, so let's move on to uh, the topic of the day. Then we'll move on to diversification. Ah, yes. uh, who's go for it. Can I, I'll start off. I'll start off with something. Um, so Mark Cuban, we all know him um, from the, uh, the TV show. In the Lama Fuckwit. <laughs> Hedge fund. Owner. Is, he hedge fund owner? Is that the name of his hedge fund? Yeah, yeah he's a hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So basically, he said, he said, portfolio diversification is for idiots. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I tend to have a perhaps slightly broader net for idiots than Mark Cuban does, basically. <laughs> I mean, people are idiots by not being Mark Cuban, who. Uh, whatever you think of him 
has significantly more money than I think all of us put together uh, and has made more money than all of us put together. Um, I kind of think there's something right about that. I think the more of an idiot, i.e. the less you know, the more you should diversify. So I tend to think of diversification in various forms. It can involve buying more stuff or it can involve buying it more often, basically. So if you're not sure what a good price is, then dollar cost average and buy it at every price for a company. And if you're not sure what a good company is, then buy them all via an index fund or something like that. And that way you will just catch things at the right time and the right stuff as long as the general trend is going in your direction. So, yeah, I agree with that. Probably wouldn't put it that way, but I'm okay with that idea. Is diversification a bit wider than that, though? Uh, when we talk, when we say diversification is for idiots, I'm sure Warren Buffett's had the same uh, ethos as that. He, I'm sure he said that he'd rather his family be in the US index fund mm -hmm. rather than owning all of his stocks, uh, which is probably a fair thing, you know, if you don't know, like you said, go into your index funds. But what about further diversification? Are stocks the only place to be at the moment? What do we think? Maybe at the moment, um, but I guess you could think about sort of diversification in terms of being ready to move into other stuff when it appears at the right price, whether that's commodities or crypto or gold or, um, I mean, not now, but bonds, uh, bonds. when bonds become <laughs> a reasonable kind of price. But I, I tend to think of diversifications including that, yeah. Because that's my... My issue with, because that's my issue with um, diversification at the moment, because I do see a place for bonds. I do understand previous to this, probably five years ago, I would have understood that bonds would have been the better place to, for me to put my money because I'm quite a cautious investor. Um, but right now we've got extreme asset inflation, really, haven't we? Uh, well, it's for me to say extreme, others might not say so extreme. Uh, but I personally feel that we've got extreme assets inflation. So there isn't really anywhere for us to put our money. Cash is trash, right? No one wants to put our money in, in cash. You're just going to be waiting while the asset bubble inflates and inflates and inflates and you'll lose loads of uh, money. Nobody wants to be in bonds. bonds. Uh, no, nobody wants to be in bonds. I, I don't want to be harsh to bonds, but I was a former bondholder and, and they, they're known as income. Um, generators in your portfolio so the idea is that they're steady they, they, they work inversely to your stocks so i.e I, when your stocks go down your bonds will go up or vice versa uh, and and they're supposed to pay a steady coupon two three percent at the moment the bond yield is next to nothing it's effectively the same as having cash um, you know, you may as well stuff that cash in your mattress, but there is a small chance that your mattress might catch fire because there's that much government debt around at the moment um it's just not worth having i mean if you were talking buying emerging market bonds at the moment you've got to be nuts there's going to be countries left right and center that are on the verge of default you might get a half decent yield out of it but the risk is is ridiculous um you could put it in a spac <laughs> it's just as risky <laughs> Oh, we all we all sit here and laugh like with a with a pipe in our spacks, <laughs> except they're earning a hundred percent every single day right mm -hmm. now, right? Pretty much. Uh, so, who's the winners? Who's the losers here? Bonds are the losers. <laughs> yeah, bonds, bonds are the losers. Yeah, yeah, we can all group together and just look down on bonds, right? <laughs> right. What happened to not being harsh to bonds or whatever you said at the start? <laughs> yeah, straight in there. Oh, uh, yeah. It's bad suck. cop, bad cop. 
<laughs> right. So, uh, anyone got any stocks that they feel are of interest at the moment? I'm looking at you, Zach. Uh, uh let's have a look. Can I go back to the um, to the BBBY? There's one particular area that did they focused on um it's got some astounding numbers um so so their digitalization um kind of campaign um so basically i can have a quick check again so are you seeing the uh bbby as a sort of turnaround stock at the minute Def is that what definitely you're going a for? turnaround i think they're basically rock bottom right now i think the last management um left them at the at the worst possible scenario i think um, so the new new team, um, so they've kind of glossed over the websites. They've got some uh, baby um, kind of verticals as well in, in, in their company. And recently, over the past six months, 2.5 million app downloads. And this is quite staggering. So 1.4 million customers were brand new to the company. So so these, comp these customers have never, ever shopped at BBBY, ever. And... Their customers are now six years younger on average than their current um, base. So, and they've also found that, you know, because uh, BBBY is famous for their coupons. So they got these 20% uh, of coupons and, and they found that the, the younger demographic, uh, they, they're not uh, willing to, or they, they don't really care about the, um, the coupons, which is a good thing because they improve on their, I guess, their margins and their revenues uh, overall. I, I don't personally like follow coupons or anything like that even though i should be saving a lot i i totally get that i why why do you want to be storing stuff up to think about for later everything's ease 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 right and that's where bed bath and beyond are planning on going i guess so i, I mean i don't know for sure they i mean they're forecasting around three billion in sales via digital only i mean at the moment they're doing around 12 billion which is which in this case is about 25 percent, right so that's quite staggering. I mean, if if that's just an addition to to their already kind of revenue stream, I think I think they they have uh, an opportunity to, to to keep going over the years. Um, well, actually, yeah, I'm just looking through their quarterlies now, and while they are down year on year, like you say, they had a, a 11 billion revenue year on year. Uh, right now, quarterly, they're just running three billion, and you're saying that's all from digital sales, I guess their company has been largely shut as it during the pandemic um they, i mean they were affected i think that the, the kind of the turnaround strategy was affected as well um so it's not the best time <laughs> in a sense to kind of um to, to to introduce a new um strategy because i think people are gonna keep them on hold and you know say okay how how long will it take but it's gonna take i think a few years it can't. So we're seeing this as a value play. I didn't see that coming from you, Zach. I thought this is it because I've been into my small cap stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I think um, I think Steve D um, pushes these new kind of stocks that I've not come across. And I think I thought, hang on, maybe I can have a look at something I've never um, decided or kind of um, uh, looked at before. And I think this goes yeah. with Steve W's as well, with his value plays as well. So, yeah, no, it was interesting. I think um, it was something that I saw and I thought, okay, maybe maybe it could be a growth stock of the years. Yeah. yeah, for the record, for the record right here, I just want to uh, finish off on this one that it was um, 25, 
yeah, $25 pretty much before the pandemic. Got pumped and dumped by Wall Street Bets all the way up to $52. <laughs> and I believe it's now back down to $25. Yeah, so I think that's what it was at its original um, I think, valuation, uh, right? Yeah, I think um, because they had a quite a large short interest in it as well. Um, I think yeah. I think I think the band the bandwagoning uh, happened over the past two weeks. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I wouldn't buy at this price. Well, it's gone down now recently, but I wouldn't have bought when it was about forty five. Or I mean, um, I don't think anyone was buying for the business. They were sticking it to the man, or at least they oh, yeah. kind of thought they were sticking it to the man, right? Yeah, so speaking of um, unknown, well, I, I suppose it's not so much of an unknown stock at all, but Steve D usually goes to the Amazon rainforest to find his stocks. <laughs> uh, that's just a running joke we've got because he's into Mercado Libre and uh, all the other random Brazilian stocks. Uh, what stock are you looking at the minute, Steve? Um, normally, I, I like a stock that I can't pronounce, um, but this one I can. Um I've been looking at a, a company and uh, I, I own this stock um, called Demtech. And uh, normally when I'm looking at sort of medical or, or tech stocks, there's sort of like a, a list of boxes that you want to tick to make sure that they, they are better than what's already there. Are they cheaper than what's already there? Is it going to be something that doctors will, will, will want to use? And is it something that patients will want to use? And Demtech is all of these things. So essentially what Demtech does is it's a little plaster um, that you put on your skin and um, you leave it on for a few seconds and you, you pop the plaster off, you put it in an envelope uh, and you send it off to um, the clinic and it gets checked. And what it checks for is um, for a melanoma. So it's a skin cancer. So um, really serious stuff. It's got a 99% detection rate. Um, it currently replaces a, a punch biopsy, which is essentially somebody jabbing a hole in your arm. Um, you know, it leaves you with a scar. Um, Damtech doesn't leave you with a scar. It's it can be painful. Um, it needs to be sutured back up. There's none of that with Damtech. Damtech is twenty five percent cheaper. Uh, it's got a Medicare code. I mean, is it ticking enough boxes for you here? I mean, it's it, it's better in every way than, yeah. than the incumbent. I, I, yeah, Dermtech, you pointed this out to me and I do really, <laughs> it's a really cool company. Um, I feel sorry for the guy who's got to uh, look at all those sticky plasters, though, <laughs> uh, who's got to sort yeah. all them out. That's a, that's a nasty yeah. job. Like, it's the same guy who has to stick, pull the plasters off the bottom of a swimming pool or whatever. That's just nasty. <laughs> but um, it looks like Dermtech is up uh, 250% on the yeah. year. Uh, how overvalued is this company and are we just in a in a world right now where everything's just overvalued and we've got well, to well go i'm going to say no actually i'm going to say there's still a hell of a lot of upside in this company um so their total addressable market the tam is uh, is only a couple of billion but that's based on just this one plaster um they've got a lot of other um there are three types three main types of skin cancer they're developing a plaster that can get each of those um can detect each of those. They're, they're even looking at trying to get ways of diagnosing psoriasis. But the best part of it is, is that their total addressable market is based on people having a biopsy. There is going to be a certain number of people in America that don't go to find out about their 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 the mark on the skin, the mole on the skin, because they don't want a biopsy. They don't want the stitches. They don't trust doctors. Maybe they're rural and they can't get to a dermatologist. 
Um, this ties in with telehealth because it can just be posted out to you, applied, taken off, posted back. Mm. But uh, the key stat is essentially is that melanoma and skin cancer, um, they're, they're the most diagnosed skin condition in America. Um, they're diagnosed um, more than all of the other cancers combined. Um, so Demtech is, is, is only a... a a billion, just over. I think it's one point five billion in market cap. Paul might have the stats up, um, but yeah, yeah, but they're, they're... it's uh, currently one one billion market cap. Um, looks pretty good. And uh, I, I did have a look at Dumtech myself quite a while ago when you first mentioned it. Was their total addressable market something like two to three? Yeah, two to three billion. billion they uh, but they're basing that on current biopsies, which, like I said before, I think we can quite safely um, assume that that addressable market is more and more products in the pipeline. Um, yeah, I mm. think it's a really, really exciting company, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a, a stalwart in my portfolio. It won't be shifting. Are we are we saying it's the Tesla of skin cancer? Uh, is everything the Tesla of something <laughs> these days? Is that all Red Bull Beyond's not the Tesla of anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Tesla of Federal Barves or anything beyond. <laughs> what you got for us then, Steve W? What 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 were you looking at? I was thinking I'd offer a nice value uh, stock here, but then Zach jumped in with Bed Bath and started claiming that was a value thing. So I, I mean. <laughs> I've got myself kind of partway through the DD on something that I don't currently own. And I'm, like I say, only partway through looking at it. But it looks really interesting to currently everyone who isn't me, uh, by which I mean I haven't worked out a valuation yet. But it has some nice features that um, I like in a stock, but I think other people value more. So the company I'm looking at is Roper Technologies. Uh, and basically what these guys do is acquire uh, small software mainly, but technology more broadly, uh, companies that have lots of what's called deferred revenue, which basically means someone's paid them for a, usually a service or a software, and they're still paying that back or delivering their uh, product service, whatever it is. Um, and therefore, they have cash on hand. So Roper buys these companies, uses the cash to then go and buy more companies and builds their kind of business that way. Um, their earnings have been growing kind of nicely um, over the last decade or so really uh, as they kind of carry on with this strategy they tend to like companies that operate in sort of fairly niche markets so specialist insurers specialist software that kind of thing there doesn't tend to be much competition around for that sort of thing um, and the roper management seems to have a pretty good eye for these kind of things so if you're the kind of person like me who has spent the last year uh, watching nearly any kind of tech or security thing go up and thinking I really don't have the courage or the knowledge uh, to try and pick small cap techs and work out what's going to be a winner out of those things. One way you might try to play out that idea is by having a look at Roper uh, and seeing whether they can do it for you. I mean, their strategy is inherently risky. Growth by acquisition is risky. You have to get your acquisitions right, and they have to do that again and again and again and again. But they've done it reasonably well so far. I mean, their earnings came in pretty much bang on last week. I think it was last Friday, uh, but certainly last week. Um, the tough bit at the moment, oh, and their dividend keeps going up as well in a way that you might appreciate, Paul. Um, you like early stage dividend things. This has been growing by double digits year on year, I think. Um, it's tricky to value at the moment. Um, and that's the bit that I still kind of need to figure out quite a bit. So I don't know whether this is a good price, a bad price. It's going to go higher, going to go lower, but there's lots to uh, get me interested there. And enough to kind of get me interested in trying to figure out what a decent price would be and lots of other things. Yeah, I did. 
I did look at Roper uh, when you mentioned it. Um, my problem with it was because it's it's essentially a, a software company. I don't like these companies that call themselves X Technologies because it makes them sound like one of these <laughs> big tech companies. Uh, and they're just trying to dupe you a little bit. But it's essentially um, acquires lots of different softwares or develops lots of different softwares. And I'd never heard of any of them. Obviously, they must all be B2B um, softwares. Uh, so that, you know, I, I wouldn't expect to know them personally. Um, it's just, uh, one that I thought that you might have to, you might have to delve into every single program that they have in order to value them. Right. You've got to, you've got to really know this business inside out to really get a good value. Is that why it's taking so long for you to get your head around it? Partly. Um, I think there's a sense in which you kind of need to settle on management um on that kind of thing so you could uh if you think if you're confident there's really good management there uh you might want to kind of outsource the thinking about these things you're dead right about the kind of businesses they like uh they tend to like niche markets little competition um and that kind of thing but um yeah i mean the main reason i'm kind of struggling with them a little bit is their p2e seems absurdly high uh and various places seem to think that they're quite good value uh i don't think those two things are inconsistent I think Amazon could be a good value buy with a really high PDOE, but I would need to understand better why that is before I get interested in finding an entry. So I'm not in a hurry. Um, I don't know where the stock is going in the near term or anything like that. I'm happy to sit and wait until I get this clearer in my head. Um, but that's one that I thought had a lot of interesting things going for it, if we can find the right price for me. One of the things I noticed about them was quite interesting was that they're like experts in in, in autonomy. So they're really good at, at buying companies and, and making them run themselves, essentially. Um, so that's mm. quite, it sort of reminded me of the old Buffett phrase of um, buy companies that an idiot could run because one day an idiot will. And, um, yep. and that's kind of that's that's kind of Roper's mentality is that they will buy these companies. They, they, they don't always oust the management, but there is a few occasions where I, I've seen that they did oust the management. But they, they're experts at making a business run itself. And I think that's where the vast majority of the margins are coming from. They're buying high margin companies anyway. And making the margin even better so yeah definitely one for your watch list so i guess one important thing i mean this feel a lot like um buffett and berkshire acquiring stuff to me as well one of the big differences between these guys and berkshire i think is that roper aren't that keen on pushing money into these companies they're much more keen on getting money out of them uh, for what it's worth they tend to like companies that in their view don't require a lot of capital therefore they can take capital out and go and use it to make further acquisitions whereas in the case of Berkshire, a thing a lot of people have been thinking lately is, well, if you own some companies under that umbrella in a sector that's getting hammered, uh, you can keep them afloat while the competition struggles, basically. Roper don't seem to see things in quite that way. I mean, partly the sector's not struggling, uh, in software particularly. But they tend to prefer companies they think don't take much to keep them running in terms of cash. Yeah, that's a good um, that's a good uh, take on Berkshire, to be honest with you, because you never really think of them that way because Buffett says buy great companies. But at the moment, he is sort of bailing a lot of them out with his deals. Um, and that might be something to think about. That was Berkshire. always the same with Buffett, though. He's always he just basically spends spends six, seven years loading up his elephant gun. And then um, the minute the minute there's a crash and people start being in trouble, he just fires that gun all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an analogy. 
<laughs> you get a rescue. Yeah, but that just, brings some uh, horrible memories. Just <laughs> sprays, just just fertilizes yeah. all stocks <laughs> with his large elephant gun. There you go. Cut that out. <laughs> The worst thing I've ever heard since I looked at the Boxer Active webpage. Ah, dear me. Right, speaking of high PE ratios, although I would say this company doesn't have a particularly high PE ratio (laughs) at the minute, uh, Facebook is coming back into uh, value at the minute. Um, It might have just jumped out, actually, 267. I had it. A lot of people have been rating Facebook at... at, uh, sort of $250 as a good uh, value. But its earnings report came out last week and some of the highlights I found in its earnings report that were really important were its operating margin was up 50, uh, was it 50% year on year? Uh, And its um, net net income has a 53% change year on year as well. So this company is absolutely smashing its earnings at the minute. Um, Most importantly, though, for Facebook that we see is that its daily active users are 1.84 billion on average in December. So if we're working out that, is that one quarter of the whole population of the world using Facebook? It's probably more than that because isn't it banned in China? So you can exclude that from the yeah yeah yeah. I mean, one of the things that people worry about on Facebook is the possibility of some of these accounts being fake, <laughs> especially Instagram. Yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, and do they do anything to sort of get rid of those fake accounts, or do they? Uh, this is daily active users. This isn't just like accounts mm-hmm. that they've created. This is daily. People making clicks. I mean, logging in. I suppose you could say, yeah. I suppose you could say that, yeah. There could be some uh, an army of trolls in India somewhere that are trying to boost people's uh, likes and numbers. Uh, that could be something to do with it. Maybe probably a few thousand Frisco will... accounts out there somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. Don't put that into people's brains. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> there is a Frisco in the comments who keeps trying to sell us Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> what were those uh, fake hey. um, YouTube comments where they tried to Im- impersonate? Oh God, yeah, they are such a ball egg. They are trying to get rid of them. <laughs> I've had I've had a few today. They they create an entire account just based on you. I mean, I don't know if uh, YouTube does exactly the same thing because uh, I'll talk about this actually because it's probably quite related to this. Um, YouTube itself does not make it very easy for you to get rid of these accounts. You click report and it goes, or you can hide the user from the channel, but they don't seem to be making, putting in any proper, anything really concrete to get rid of it. And it seems quite easy for, for them to do. So again, going back to the user thing, are they just happy that they've created, that people are creating these new, new accounts to make the scams? And then they get to put that on their data to say that, oh, look, YouTube's had X amount of new users. We're 11, 12% up new users on YouTube. And, you know, half of them are made just by scamming accounts. Is, That's true, because they never they, they never mention these accounts, do they? So, I mean, even to advertisers, because I used to do uh, a lot of marketing for um, on Facebook uh, and YouTube as well. They used to 
inflate the numbers of of people uh, uh, using uh, Facebook and you know viewership of each ad, etc. So yeah, I'm, I mean they never they never freely divulge into you know how much uh, fakery is going on. Um, I mean we do hear about Instagram. Uh, boosting likes and stuff and I, I do know they had issues uh, when they first started up but I'm not sure about now to be fair yeah I don't think it's in their best interest to do this and it really probably does inflate their numbers but we've gone through how much uh, money they've got there and um, I'm sure they said there was a 25 billion or was it million or billion I feel like it's billion share back buy, share buyback program coming for Facebook right now. They have just a lot of cash on hand that they can't figure out how to spend. So they're going to start buying back their stock. Um, the, the risks to Facebook right now, though, are it's antitrust. No one likes Zuckerberg, do they? Everybody fucking hates <laughs> him. Um, is, is this going to be a problem? Anyone got an opinion on Zuckerberg and the antitrust going out there. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Just knew that was especially um, what they did with WhatsApp recently. I think people um, definitely didn't like the fact that they were trying to was it um, sell the data for advertising? I guess. Yeah, WhatsApp that's traditionally considered a very very private uh, messaging service. They've decided to make not so private so elon decided to tell everyone go and use signal who then everyone went and bought signal advance or whatever the stuff <laughs> the unrelated <was>. messaging app. <laughs> yeah. it's so dumb isn't it Do you know, it's so dumb i, uh, I only got um, i think uh, whatsapp have started doing their own status now uh, on the app and the first thing they said was um end-to-end encryption um no one can you know dab into what you're talking about but they completely missed the point with the um the 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 selling of data um which I, I don't think they will you know indulge in i guess but um but yeah there was a a, a mask uh exit from the apples in there uh, recently i think a lot of people went i don't know i i don't actually know and uh, maybe uh facebook's reports suggest the numbers i haven't actually delved in that far but on breaking up uh facebook and you can go to antitrust and the others very quickly because we haven't got much time left uh, but I reckon Steve D's got a big opinion on breaking Just break Facebook. them up. They'd be a far better business in pieces. I think a lot of companies would be. Um, but I, I think breaking Facebook into a, a Facebook, um, an Instagram, and um, probably a WhatsApp where Oculus sits in that. I think Oculus is quite an interesting business that we, we'd all like mm -hmm. to look at. But um, yeah, break them up. They'd be a far better company um, with individual CEOs that are focused on their respective companies. And I think they'd, um, they would unlock a hell of a lot of shareholder value. All right. So we'll leave that there because we've got 10 minutes left. Uh, we just want to answer a question that's been left on one of the comments. Uh, we did try and answer this to the commenter at first, but it's, it's our first question. And it is quite a good question because uh, nobody really knows us as such. I mean, a few people might know where I'm coming from, but uh, you guys... Uh, haven't really been outspoken of where you're coming from from an investor point of view and somebody asked sorry i didn't do the research to get your name um 
Is it Jackal? He's on the Discord, Jackal. right? Jackal. Yeah, Jackal Creative. Jackal's on Discord. He's got his own YouTube channel, I believe. He's one of the content creators. Uh, go have a look for his uh, videos if you want to see him there. Uh, but he was concerned that we're all just uh, uh, running some sort of circle jerk here and just <laughs> loving each other. Um <laughs> I mean, I obviously people know me as uh, a sort of dividend investor and to a point of value play, I'm going to definitely go into more how I value a company in the coming weeks. Um, and yes, I am very strict on the, uh, the dividend investment style, just because I personally don't feel I know enough about uh, investing and valuing companies and particularly in growth stocks as well, seeing total addressable markets and things like that. So I find dividend investing as a very easy way to get into stocks and a way that I understand. I understand the compounding, how it compounds, because someone was asking me the other day about how uh, a normal growth stock compounds. And I had to sort of explain that it's not necessarily in the linear growth that they, uh, that the stock compounds. It's more in how they reinvest their money and how you personally buy and sell and reinvest and add to your positions, which causes the compounding. Um, that's a lot to go into in one in one sentence, really, isn't it? But um, yeah, so I come from this dividend, slightly value investing style. Steve D, just give us an explanation of where you come from, because we don't always see eye to eye, really, do we? No. Um, so I have a, a sort of core and satellite sort of strategy where the core of my portfolio is um, safer, uh, not necessarily dividend payers but 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 stocks that you would consider safer um slower growers and then i have a, a satellite part of my portfolio which is uh, about 20 percent, which is aggressive high growth um high revenue increases are uh, um, not, not necessarily profitable price to sales above 30 um south africa uh, south american um unpronounceable and, and and that kind of stuff so I, I i really like to um you know really really look aggressively in that portfolio and that's where I spend the vast majority of my time I know my core is going to be steady and, and look after me and deliver three four five percent returns uh, in, in every good year and I'm really looking for the the 20 percent of my portfolio to really supercharge the growth that's a pretty good strategy um, I can actually kind of agree with that one and I sort of need to rethink my strategy as I learn and grow uh, Steve W probably hates the fact that I call or the he hates the dividend investor kind of label, uh, and we don't necessarily agree on that one either. And I think you're more of a value uh, guy, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I hate most of the labels to be honest, but I guess if I was going to kind of attach one to myself, it would be value investing. And that's not to say that I don't care about how much a company is growing its earnings or whether it pays a dividend and how that dividend's faring. I guess what I associate value investing with is caring a lot about the price that you're going to pay uh, for a company. And I think um, that I see as kind of the main thing that's going to contribute to how well my uh, investments do, whether I get them at the right price or not. I mean, I think it's fair that we kind of all care about what price we're buying them at for what it's worth. But it's definitely true that we don't always see eye to eye on a bunch of things. I mean, Warren Buffett says that really successful people say no to almost everything. And that, I think, is primarily what Steve D is for. Um, uh, he's helped me a lot in my kind of investing career, but most of the time he just sends me stuff and I say no, and I've never heard of this, more or less. <laughs> yeah, because, um, and, and I, do, I do, I can take that part of it as well, of paying the right price, because I think at the moment 
we are seeing a, a market where people think they're paying the right price or they could be. Of course, they could be paying the right price for these stocks. Um, but on the majority and as a whole, I think the majority of people don't believe that they're paying the correct price. It's like going into, I don't know, going and buying a sofa and seeing a sofa for double the price it was the week before and going, oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's the price I want to pay. And, and I just... I just don't like feeling ripped off. I think that yeah. applies to a lot of my life. I as think well. that's what I find hardest. If I feel like I didn't pay the right price, but thought, well, I'll go for it. It's not coming down more or less. And it does move. And then I think, well, I don't even think it's worth this anymore. Uh, then I really <laughs> hate that feeling of feeling trapped like I've overpaid for something, basically, which is what pushes me towards value investing. It's just a temperament. I think. Yeah. Because conviction matters doesn't it the thing is is paying a heavy price for something is fine in a bull market where the, the price continues to go up you can you can say okay you know these conditions are okay i think this company is going to continue to do okay they're very expensive but you know the the, the the likelihood is they'll get more expensive but the issue is is that when the market turns you've got to have that conviction because you don't want to be looking at a price at a stock that you've overpaid for and say shit I'm now 60% down and, you know, and I don't even really like this stock. I didn't even get it at a good price. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and that would key. be, that would be my sort of, that would be my arguments against Steve W style of value investing is where does value investing have you as, you know, you're paying the right price for something you think you're getting a good deal versus just being a dumbass contrarian. You know, are you just like, just not going for the stuff everyone else loves uh, and you're just going to be left behind because, you know, what you're buying isn't cool anymore. I know I've spoken about that before. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the danger in value investing. I mean, it sounds like playing it safe, playing it careful, but the danger is you just buy stuff that never does anything at all because it's cheap and is cheap for a reason. Um, obviously, you try and figure out which things are cheap for a reason and which are not, but I'm not suggesting there's no risk to value investing. I think that's exactly the risk. You have to be a contrarian though to beat the market. If you're if you're buying the stocks that are the market, you will achieve the market return. You have to be a contrarian to beat the market. So if your plan is to if that is your benchmark, if your benchmark is just to beat the bank, then 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 yeah, that's that's fine. Buy the market. But if your plan is to beat the market, you have to be different. Pinterest. And Zach, that's for you, right? Zach. Zach is the man. Right. What are you doing? I'm gonna summarize in simple, but um no debt. Because you don't want to be burdened by debt because that's where, um, well, the growth comes, I guess. Uh, I guess they have plenty of cash um, as well. Um, but in, in a sense, recently I've been buying up a lot of companies that are under 1 billion market cap. Only because I want to give them a chance as well. And plus, I, I only um, tend to stick around with good management teams. I get I get asked all the time, why this, why this? Um because when it comes down to it, a good team um, who can efficiently uh, manage money and understand, okay, uh, this is the... Because I come from a marketing background as well, and I think some, some management teams really know where they want to kind of dive into. And um, it's a case of efficiency. And and I guess giving, giving small companies a chance because a lot of us just pour money into, into large caps. I'm talking to Teslas and saying, oh, yeah, I made 20% return. But what about, um, you know, not not following the bandwagon? I said, it's not going to be a popular opinion, but I guess um, 
actually you know going down to the to the to the nitty gritty and understanding each company on on a small scale as well i think that's probably where i am at the moment um but this opens you up to a lot more risk yes, right it does. that's what you're yes that's what you're trading essentially and, yeah um yeah i think for me it's where the fun is you know in a way when when it comes to picking stocks because you can't if it if you're not gonna put your full kind of effort into doing your due diligence you might as well just pick an etf right yeah i mean yeah the, that's the argument that is a, a very strong argument for a lot of investors out there it's um if you don't really have the time and it's going to affect your life to a point where you know you're just paralyzed by analysis then yeah you might as well try and go for sector and maybe drop down to sectorized and then go for that and you know pick your van x and your ings and all that sort of stuff and go there and if you really really don't care just bung it in an index fund bung it in the s p 500 or vwrl and uh make your money that way uh we all know that consistency generally does pay off in the future uh, and it's all going to be about your behavioral. We'll get onto behavioral on another mm-hmm. episode, I think, because I think that's the most important part of investing out of anything, knowing your stocks and all that. Yeah. But yeah, we do small caps. So Zarek's actually more a small, uh, a small cap stock, uh, slightly riskier stock, and a lot of SPACs. And I, I think you're in a lot of SPACs, aren't you? I did. I was. Um, I've, I've moved out of SPACs. Um, it's a lot more interesting going literally into the penny side of stuff because um, because you need a lot of conviction and i think yeah. and i think i don't really want to delve into something that i'm not you know um fully fully worst into because backs you can slightly get away with it because he has nav um so it is a case of where i want to literally get into something because i've done a bit of um background research uh into into something as opposed to bandwagoning i think that's that scares me yeah so that's good that was so that was what we were trying to answer with this i think is that we actually all come from very different uh investing kind of mindsets uh a lot of us all also come from uh, different levels of experience with it and we might all be learning off each other and i think that is the case with this podcast is one thing we want to do is learn from each other and have good conversations in this podcast uh, and we also don't want to, like I said earlier, just be a fucking circle jerk and just like, oh yeah, this is absolutely amazing. I love this one. We we don't want to be like that. We want to see the downsides of our stocks and hopefully talking to people who have different mindsets to us and have in, different investing styles, different ways of thinking about the market. We might be able to bring ourselves together and talk about some stocks and maybe find some stocks that we wouldn't normally have seen. I think we'll call it there because that is about an hour and three minutes into this. Uh, I can't believe where the time's gone on this one. So thank you very much for everyone for listening today. I hope that has been at least slightly entertaining and maybe informative. Um, just remember that, you know, anything we say on here, we haven't got a clue, really. I don't think anybody has a clue about <laughs> the market. Uh, <laughs> so try it. <laughs> YOLO Tesla 420 for life. Um yeah, uh, it's, so this uh, podcast will be on the YouTube. So if you wanted to ask a question uh, a little bit more uh, in-depth maybe and uh, ask something specific, you can leave a comment in the uh, YouTube 
section of this podcast and hopefully people might start to have a listen on their commute or on their run or something to this on apple uh, podcasts on spotify and on google podcasts so far that's where it is hopefully that'll be out a few days later than the youtube one so thank you very much for listening everybody uh we're always trying to improve this podcast so if anyone's got any pointers, any constructive criticisms, or if you just want to fucking lob some semen at us through the YouTube comments, feel free. Um, <laughs> I've gone on a bit there. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. And goodbye.